Welcome back, team, to another episode of Beautiful Dust Specs, a podcast designed to teach you that the ordinary is truly extraordinary. I'm your host, Alex Hofeld. You bring the curiosity. I'll bring the science. Let's do this. Hello again, team. Welcome back to another episode of Beautiful Dust Specs. I'm Alex Hofelt, and what are we doing here? Each week, I am here to show you that science is a motivational tool. I want you to dive deep into whatever topic I'm talking on, or just sit back and listen to it for a little bit and allow it to mindfully can give you something just to focus on. The world around us is chaos, and a beautiful chaos that we need to embrace and love and cherish. But take a step back to dive deep into the little stuff, to take a moment to appreciate the smallest things around you, like it says in the intro, to peel back the layers of the ordinary to see that they are truly extraordinary, that you are extraordinary, that this life is extraordinary, that every single moment on this good, bad, wonderful, beautiful, wild ride that is this planet, this spaceship, you are still an improbable machine, a machine of 1 times 10 to the 2,685,000th probability of not existing, composed of trillions of machines that human beings can't come anywhere near replicating, part of a system of, 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 an, of an Earth standing on this rock that's going around this sun inside this solar system that's a part of a galaxy. It's just a part of a huge, massive universe that might even be a part of a multiverse. So take a second and each episode, each week, each time, appreciate the little things to see and experience the massiveness that is the motivation of science. Because when you understand the feelings of yourself, when you understand the speciality of it, it makes you feel special. It makes you feel motivated. It makes you feel alive. And then when you understand it, you can then manipulate it a little bit. You can embrace it. You can embrace the chaos and you can embrace it with love. You can become your own best cheerleader to experience the moments around you. And each week I'm going to talk about a new topic and I try and sometimes link them up. I've been on a little sun kick, maybe because it's winter here in Illinois or it's dying out of winter here. The ice is thawed. It's a little early for the, the weather that we've been having, but you know, good old global climate change is going to come and it's going to go here. But as the earth starts turning around here and we start tilting back towards the sun, we're going to move into the nearing the summer months, the time where we're in, you know, in love with nature more so for a lot of us than winter. Myself, I actually like the transitions. I like experiencing all of them, but you do feel better in the summer because of the sun, because of vitamin D, because of your circadian rhythms are allowed to get more solidified. You know, the, the light and the energy and the nature and the exposing of your skin to a little bit of sun is really powerful to you. And that's what we were talking about the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I talked about the the, the, the the physics of the sun, the the way that pretty much the astronomy of the whole thing, how the sun behaves the way that it behaves, where it came from, how much energy it, can, it, it, it creates, how long it's going to do it. And it's amazing to think about that. It's amazing to understand just how special that little tiny sun is. And the sun itself, though, and the fact that it is a sun is not that special. The fact that it's a star is not that special. There are trillions of stars in our, not trillions, I'm sorry, billions of stars in our Milky Way galaxy. There could be possibly billions or if not trillions of galaxies that are out there. Trillions might be a big thing for the galaxies. I think it's 200 billion galaxies they believe the universe is there. But there probably probably would be would be trillions trillions of planets though you know the more we're understanding that if you got on board with the whole trappist thing going on right now there's a lot of things going on there's a lot of new ideas being spread about these goldilocks conditions and the possibilities of finding life on other planets and that's an amazing thing to think about but let's not focus on that quite yet so last week two weeks ago we talked about the sun itself then last week we talked about the biology of the sun the the, the earth heat engine how the sun pretty much warms the equator more so than anything and that creates the currents and the weather that are allowed to carry this 
carry the energy throughout all of it, mainly carry the water even, you know, precipitation, weather, and rain. But we are surrounded by this planet that is just a conglomeration, an epic, an epic web, and a beautiful, provocative, mind-blowing, marvelous obtuse, crazy connected thing that is this planet, that is these ecosystems. And in biology right now in my classes, we're studying ecology, which is probably my favorite topic to talk about biologically. Ecology is the study of ecosystems. So that is the organisms and the environment and their integration between the two of them. And hopefully, like last week, you went outside. As it starts to get green here, this light, this the plants and the trees start blooming up their leaves here. Remember, embrace this. It's, you know, feel a leaf and look at it. If you have a chance to look at it under a microscope or just Google image a chloroplast and just see the integration of the wonderful green adaptations that are these leaves. And remember, that is how you get the energy that is you. Your body is a, is a collection of cells. It's, it's a big meat sack. It's this huge, amazing, interconnected myofascial muscle, bone, ligament, tendon, marrow, cellular thing but it needs energy. It's like a machine. Your cell phone could be the most amazing cell phone on the planet. When you no longer have energy in the battery, it's useless to you. It just becomes a stressor. And we plug it in and we do that. You plug in yourself. You recharge your battery with sleep, but you mainly recharge your battery with food. And we talked about it. That food is part of food webs, is part of these interconnected chains of events and change of, you know, honestly, death and destruction and predation and eating that allows the energy to, con to be transferred from one organism to the next on down the line you feel your energy right now sit back and close your eyes take a few deep breaths and understand that you feel the energy when you feel uh, embrace a day when you feel energized or when you feel low on energy that's always a, run, a bummer of a feeling right days where we don't have the energy is a rough day it's not what we want it's not the best thing for us we're trying to always experience and get to an idea and an understanding of a fully energized life. And that's what it's about. Health, wellness, nutrition, the other world that I dabble in out there in the yoga and fitness world. We talk about nutrition and health and wellness and sleep, not to just get a six pack and look skinnier or lose weight. It's to feel better. It's to be able to have more energy that you can put into whatever it is that you want, whatever creative endeavor you want to express. And I like to go back in through it and see and experience these creative endeavors, knowing that I am using energy that started in the sun right now to manipulate the physiology of myself to resonate vocal cords, change my oral cavity, and blow air through my larynx to give you words, to allow my imagination, this brain that takes 25% of all the energy that I put in my body, a massive succubus, to not only keep me alive, to allow me to think, feel, and be me, to be Alex, to be a part of it, to share my experiences with the world, to take my imagination and throw it out into there, into the world. And that's an amazing thing to think about. So this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about some like amazing food webs, some amazing ecological pyramids pyramids that exist. And if you remember this from basic biology, you have what's called trophic levels. Trophic levels, troph trophic in essence means energy. At the bottom is the base of a pyramid, much bigger than the top, than the apex of the pyramid. The bottom is what we call the producers. Those are anything that are autotrophic. Trophic again means energy. Auto means to make. You make your own energy. That is the photosynthesis and the chemosynthesis. It's something that never gets enough rep. We never, ever, ever appreciate plants enough. Going back in time and science and in my education, I would have loved the botany labs more. I would have that more. I was always ingrained with the animals and the big, furry, fuzzy, fun things. The plants are where it's at, baby. And you look at these, and the more I experience and more I learn, the more I understand botany, the more I get it, the more I get why the plants are so incredibly special. These beautiful trees that have been here stand withstanding weather for so long, standing up to the environment to allow that sunlight to be turned into C6H12O6, to allow it to be turned into glucose. That glucose then becomes a big, most of it's used to make them build, build themselves 
to go. But what gets left over, what gets stored in the leaves, can be eaten by things that eat leaves. That can then be transferred into those, and then that becomes what's called the primary produce, primary consumers, trophic level two. Those are like the little rodents. Those are anything that are herbivores. Then after that, the omnivores and carnivores and herbivores can take over. Not herbivores. That'd be an omnivore. Then you get into the third level, which is what's called the secondary consumers who eat the primary consumers who have eaten the primary producers. And the energy is going down. Picture the pyramid. It goes up. We lose roughly 10% of the energy as it goes from organism to organism. So as you go up the pyramid, you have to eat more and more, and you're going to get less and less. You know, this is the argument for being a vegetarian. I am not, sadly. I always want to be, kind of, but... I'm not convinced on the full health of it quite yet, and it's challenging. I really like my paleo, bulletproof, buttered coffee diet. I would never be vegan, but I've I've often thought about, you know, dabbling in a little vegetarianism for a while here because it makes sense that you're feeding the food food instead of just eating the food for yourself, right? If you give cows or other organisms, you give them the green, the things that making it, you have to produce that. You have to plant the seeds, put the water, take the energy to make those, to get them ready to be fed to whatever animal it is, to eat it and you're getting less energy out. The problem is you just have to eat a ton of it and then you have to deal with protein and other various different environments, but we're not getting into nutrition quite yet. You know, we don't need, we don't need that in this episode here. So as these things go up, you then go all the way up to the top and at the top is what we call the quaternary, the quaternary consumer, tertiary and quaternary. Quaternaries are the apex predators. There's the BAs. They're the ones nobody messes with. Meaning, Nobody eats them. You know, they are not messed with by anybody. They actually have a really tough life. You know, we think of predators as being like, you want to be the apex. It's very difficult to be an apex predator. They're usually the ones that go out quickest. When we lose organisms, when 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 species, when um, extinction takes place, a lot of times it's the apex predators that are going to go because they're the most susceptible to changes. But you can picture this now, right? You, If you can get a big base, if you can get a pyramid at the bottom that can really hold true and really hold strong, you can create an ecosystem. And any place on the planet, any place that we can discover, see, or experience more so than we could ever imagine scientifically. If there is water and there is an energy source that can be transferred into something that can be used as the autotrophic energy source to create a food web, you have flourishing biodiversity. The bigger the pyramid, the more energy there is in the system, the more the system will flourish, the more biodiversity will exist. And an example, this is like a jungle. A jungle has a massive amount of this. A really good example is the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs were were freaking huge guys. I mean, they were they were the size of houses. They were walking around just these huge lumbering beasts. Go see Sue at the Field Museum if you live in Chicago and go check it out and just experience these epic awesome predators that existed for 150 million years. Also, the vast majority of your coal that you burn for your fuel, the fossil fuels of today, most of those fossil fuels come from that time period because there was a crazy kind of a greenhouse. They believe there was a huge greenhouse effect going on. It was really, really warm and really, really rainy and that allowed for big tropical tropical swamps and tropical jungles to persist which that meant what that means is there was a lot of energy a lot of these animals were so big like brontosauruses were so massive they only ate plants you can imagine how much you'd have to eat to grow that big any of you dudes or dudettes out there who are in crossfit or something or trying to pack on size what do you have to do to put on size to get bigger and lift more heavy weights you have to eat you have to give your body that fuel that repair mechanism the more energy it is the bigger you are you take a lineman in the NFL versus little old me, I guarantee he or she eats more. Not she, I guess. I'm trying not to be sexist 
sexist, but there aren't no she there are no she linemen in the NFL, so I guess it's that sexist. <laughs> so they have to eat a lot more because they need more energy to grow. So these these dinosaurs, since it had such a plethora of plants, were able to evolve, were able to specialize into these amazing amount of niches because the more food there is, the more ways you can find food. And that's what it's all about, baby. It's about eating, sleeping, and reproducing in a biological sense. And if you can do that, you're gonna evolve, you're gonna flourish, you're gonna pass on your genes to the next generation. And we talked about this in evolution. Remember, that's us, man. We are the we are the winners. We're the byproduct. The evolutionary and genetic baggage been passed down over generations, eons, millennial, billions of years of what adaptations allow us to obtain energy. And that's what we're doing when we eat. You're eating cold storage. You're eating little tiny sunlight battery packets, little tiny conglomerations, little tiny packets of energy that you're going to put into your system that is not only going to energize the mind and body and allow you to experience life how you want to experience, it's also going to let you grow. You are what you eat. Bioaccumulation. What goes into your system, what went into the system of the thing you're putting into your system becomes a part of your system. And it just goes onwards and upwards. The the protein, lipids, carbs, and nucleic acids, and the energy of it, of you, came from your food. So some really amazing food webs exist out there. And some of the ones that I, my, my absolute favorites come from, you can watch Planet Earth. So the terrestrial biomes are pretty much run by the plants. So there are systems inside caves, flourishing ecosystems that exist. And if you haven't watched Planet Earth number one, the caves episode, I highly recommend it. They don't, there's no sunlight. You know, it, it is a cave. There are regions of the cave where the light kind of seeps in and seeps out. You can picture like spreading jelly, like spreading butter across toast that it would thin out over time then there's the really really dark ones the dark ones in the regions of the of the cave would uh, you'd think there would not be any life and there is there's um, these ecosystems one called massive but there are flourishing ecosystems that somehow get nutrients from bacteria the bacteria can get nutrients from like the dissolved limestone from the different organic matter that is being broken down by the river and streams because again baby water man clean water acts about to trying to be repealed by president trump and if you're not following that they pretty much got the protection of the Great Lakes. It went from, I think it was like $98 million a year to fund and protect the Great Lakes to about $3 million. So that's over if that goes through. Our water is so vital because water is life. And anyways, not getting into that topic. It's so hard not to talk about science, what's going on in the political spectrum right now. So I, I truly hope it, it flips over here and we can get back together to understanding this. But again, that's what this show's about, man. Getting you to understand how this is more connected than you could ever imagine. Try and grasp the connections of nature and then you're not right. You don't have enough in you quite yet. You can't, I don't even know if you can truly perceive the beautiful connections that exist out there, but we can try and that's what we're doing right now. So these caves, one of my favorite ecosystems, one of my favorite po- fear, like food webs that ever exist, is there are caves that are run entirely on mountains of bat guano, of bat poop. So if you've ever been like Austin, Texas, or seen the images of when the bats come out in the dust to feed on insects, that's just these swarms, these massive clouds, and it's actually a huge food web part. Then the birds and other predators will use and will eat the bats because they're such a they're they're a very, very important part of the ecosystem. They keep the insects in check. So what they can do is if you can think of this a connection of it, outside of the cave, there is the autotrophic terrestrial biomes like you think of. The insects are able to eat the plants and get the get the energy. Then the bats can eat the eat the bugs, and then they go back into the cave. And as they're standing up and they're as they're as they're hanging upside down, vampirial vampirial style, on the cave ceiling, they will poop. 
and there are there are piles of bat guano. There's the one in the one in planet Earth. It is literally a mountain, a mile high mountain of bat bat droppings. But that is nitrogen. That is organic matter. There is a massive amount of it. Actually, the majority of energy that you put inside your body, like well over fifty percent of the energy you eat, actually gets crapped out of you. And it's kind of a big waste. The majority of it actually goes to pooping. The second half of it is used in what's cellular respiration. The reason you're breathing and creating ATP to allow you to keep moving and being the thing that you are. And then the rest of it then is used for growth. And the growth part is what can be transferred to the next ecosystem, which is why 10% gets lost every single time you go up the trophic pyramid. So these bats can come back in and this bat, this bat dropping creates this entire top, you know, bottom up approach. Now there, you, that, that bat poop can in essence be the fuel. They can replace the sunlight almost and allow for autotrophic, it's, it's, it, it, and the autotrophism that really the producers are still the sun, but then the second, the primary consumers are allowed to come Come back in and share the share the ecosystem, share that energy that they've obtained from the bugs who obtained it from the sun outside of the cave to bring that energy into the cave. And then it creates this huge bacterial bottom. The bacteria can be fed on by tiny little crustaceans and little tiny things where they can be eaten and can flow upwards and this little ecosystem can persist. It's beautiful and it's amazing. Another awesome one, another incredibly cool one, these the biggest, the honestly the coolest ones happen in the water. So I did an episode way early on in this podcast journey, probably in the teens, where there is an amazing TED Talk where it's it's called Everything is Connected, TED Radio Hour. It's an amazing podcast. I played for my classes. I highly recommend it. And they're talking about these concepts of apex predators. So the blue whales are not an apex predator, but they're a really big, huge... They're, they're really, they're large, and they eat a crazy amount of, they eat tons of krill a day. These tiny little, what you, they're, they're crustaceans. You can actually, actually, yeah, they're crustaceans, and they also eat what's called zooplankton. They are. They go down into the deep, the deep, deep cold water where there's a lot of lot of nitrogen, kind of packed up. And nitrogen is fertilizer. We get a lot of our our nitrogen up here from synthetic fertilizer from the Haber process, which is an, I learned on another amazing Radio Lab podcast that. The energy is required. You need oxygen, you need water, and you need nitrogen and carbon. You need these things. That's why you have to fertilize your plants. So what they now know the whales do, the whales go down into the deep, and as they come up, they... They, they throw out these huge things that are affectionately called fecal plumes. And there's a guy named Eddie, Eddie Kisfaldi who photographed a pod of 40 whales. And they went down low and then they came back up and then they crapped on top of the water. And the, wa- the, the poop is what's called flosucent, flo- 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 it's hard to pronounce. And it just means that it has loose aggregate in it. And it has these little particles. It's almost fluffy and it allows it to float. So this is, they argue that this is actually one of the, the biggest poops ever photographed, which is kind of funny to think about. And this is an amazing thing to think about, you know, because 30, 361 million square kilometers of our planet is ocean. 47, 47, 40, sorry, sorry, 72% of it, of our planet, of the surface of our planet is water. And we've talked about this. The ocean is the fuel. It's the engine of heat. It's the engine of energy. It's the engine of most ecosystems. The ocean is so vital to protect. Now, they believe that this poop plays a huge role. These large clouds of whale poop actually are affectionately called whale pumps now. What's happening is that these, 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 Whales are able to go to the bottom, come back up with all that krill, and they're able to digest it, and then they poop on top of the surface. That poop floats, so it stays out into the phoetic zone. It, it stays out into the littorals where there is still light hitting it, and that interacts, and you, you know that you know what happens when light interacts with poop. It's fertilizer. So this allows for phytoplankton and krill and other teeny tiny things, the, the plankton of the world, 
to proliferate. It gives them the fertilizer that they can then use to keep their processes going so they can do more and more photosynthesis. And then that stimulates phytoplankton growth, which stimulates zooplankton growth, which then stimulates tiny little fish, which then stimulates medium fish, which then stimulates big fish. So back in the day, the whalers, the Japanese whalers thought that, you know, they, they, they validated their hunting of whales by saying that we should wipe out the whales because more fish would go. Turns out the whales are the catalyst, are the keystone species of the entire ecosystem. And they think that this whale pump is actually one of the major drivers of it. And there used to be upwards of eight, there used to be like 40,000 40, whales that would be that would be in the ocean at any given time, say in the, in the Gulf of Mexico. Now we're only down to about 8,000 because they've been hunted and, and eradicated so terribly in these audacious tasks. Also what it does is that when you get this energy going, when more stuff is going, it will also pull carbon down. Because when you breathe, you're in you're in taking carbon. You're, you are a part of the carbon cycle. And that energy, that carbon will be pulled out of the atmosphere and it will sink to the bottom and become huge carbon sinks. So these whales actually can, they, they can, the defecation, the carbon, the carbon cycle that's taking place in the fecal plumes can actually be upwards of 400 tons of carbon dioxide into themselves. So that's really good for, for uh, global climate change. So that's just amazing to think of that, to think that these clouds of whale poop allow us to you know, keep this thing going. And the other great ecosystems are, is as you go down to the deep, they thought for years that there would be no life in the deep oceans because there's no sun. Turns out that as the stuff goes on the bottom, there, this defecation, this death, you know, this, this, this the circle of life that takes place in the littoral zone will sink. And that sinking is called marine snow. There's so much life in the, in the, in the ocean that the detritus, the, the, the decom decomposed matter, the dead stuff will sink to the bottom, pulling with it organic matter pulling with it organic energy and there's these whole entire bit of, like middle benthic zone regions of organisms that live entirely off of this stuff that's affectionately called marine snow and this again can keep an ecosystem going because that energy was produced at the top and although it's not linear that energy was part of a trophic period up top the energy that does not get used will be shared with the deep will we'll go downwards in these connections that you know this connected energy pulling the sunlight from the surface into the ocean that is now going to be a part of marine ecosystems. Also, there's wonderful images. You've probably have seen them if you're a Planet Earth geek, where you know death equals life for everything. There's crazy amount of scavengers. So when a big whale dies, it'll actually sink to the bottom of the ocean after a while, and it can person it can proliferate an entire like changeable ecosystem, like a traveling ecosystem will persist. Bigger creatures will go on in, and as the creatures are scavenging and breaking it down into smaller and smaller particles, you also have a bacterial byproduct. You have this entire perfect pyramid that will exist surrounding one massive megalodon creature that had died. And that's beautiful to think about. Always again, sharing the connections, the life that that whale has, has, has obtained and, and partake and taken. The decomposers and the scavengers of the world will flourish by sharing that energy back. And that energy can be transferred throughout the rest of the ecosystems and going onwards and upwards and creating new life. And then lastly, the coolest, I don't know, probably maybe one of the coolest ecosystems that maybe it's its knowledge to you, might be common knowledge to you, but it's very new science, is the hydrothermal vents ideologies. So for years and years and years, people always thought that the bottom of the ocean would be totally barren. They just thought that it would be just completely useless and under and just, just not, there wouldn't be any life there. There wouldn't be anything. However, it turns out that there are amazingly highly evolved flourishing ecosystems that surround these hydrothermal vents. A hydrothermal vent takes place when we don't we haven't talked about it quite yet, but you know the 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 the, the 
the thing that makes our planet really, really special is that it has active tectonics. These this this turning solid heavy metal core, and I'm throwing up the horns right now, rock and roll style. I have you have to do it every time you say heavy metal. This heavy metal core of iron, copper, and nickel is is highly it's, it's hot, and it has this liquid liquid magma going around it. So it creates this dynamo, and it creates this this convection current. The same processes, convection is everywhere. The rising of hot, the sinking of cold pulls this energy from the hot core up into the into the magma, and there'll be cracks. So this water will fall into the crack. And it'll get it'll get really hot. It'll get upwards of 400 degrees Celsius, which is incredibly incredibly hot. And at that temperature, heavy metals will be will be leached into the water and will go up. Noxious chemicals, acidity will take place. So what actually goes down is that as this sinks down and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, it's actually bringing to it. Then it'll it'll bubble back up in these hyper hyper heated hyper intense water water jets that are called hydrothermal vents. And hydro because water, it'll release hydro hydrogen sulfide which is the smelly water like the the egg water noxious to you we don't want it if you if you ingest and are in a hydrogen sulfide environment it would it would crush you not to mention you put your hand in front of one of these vents let alone the pressure of being that deep in the ocean this is deep baby this is like as deep as you could get zero sunlight you wouldn't be able to see your hand a centimeter in front of your face it's that dark down there it's it's it would just be it'd be like space and as it goes down, these hydrothermal vents are spewing this heat energy, which there are literally things out there called thermophiles that can take that thermal energy and autotrophically turn it into energy. There's also these bacterium that are called chemosynthetic. They will take the hydrogen sulfide and use a modified process of autotrophism to create energy, to be the primary producer, to be the bottom. And it turns out that around these hydrothermal vents, you know, the bottom of the ocean had ecology. They were learning that more and more, primarily because of the marine snow, but that was still energy being transferred from the sun. Sun that was flourishing and floating downwards. Now you get these hydrothermal vents, this area again that science and logic would say nothing would be down there if everything runs on sunlight. Now these chemosynthesis, these awesome bacterium that are called archaeobacteria, which on the evolutionary ladder would make a lot of sense that these are the primitive primordial OG, you know, biologically, bacterially, ancestral evolutionary things that we are like there would be d these would be the original species evolutionarily that would take place that would have been here first the extremophiles would have been living off the geothermal energy not the solar energy that comes to our planet because of the way that the universe the earth was set up at this time but that's that we don't know that for sure to me it just makes logical sense so Around these thermal vents now, they have already discovered upwards of 300 plus new species, with 95% of these species being completely new to biology. So if you they extrapolate this, kind of trying to you know estimate where and how and how many hydrothermal vents there were based on how much biodiversity they have found, and it turns out that these ecosystems flourish with more biodiversity than the jungle. And that is insane to think about. The idea is that these interconnections of energy, that if you have that energy source light clings to it and finds a way and doesn't just cling to it it evolves and it diversifies and it creates a shared ecosystem and that is gorgeous and that's what this is all about so when you learn about ecology and you study the flow of energy and you study the circles of life you're understanding the connections of it all you feel yourself you, you understand you can get an idea of the energy if you're mindful and you do meditative practices and you do body awareness scans and just you know you you do the CrossFit games you do whatever you you experience and you share your you give 
give your energy away. You're losing energy constantly, but I prefer to, you know, transfer mine into a bike versus the couch all the time. Sometimes I like the couch, but you can then share it and you have to get more of it and just keep going. So the energy that is you, so if you sit there right now and you love life or you just like life or you're just stoked or you're even a little bummed out, take a second to feel the energy, to feel the things that you are, to understand that the energy is life. When you are energized, when your system can personify and create and utilize energy, you're alive. And when that energy ceases, when the machinery can no longer process the energy enough and you can't repair faster and you break down, that's the end. And when you look at it that way to me, it makes me feel more alive than I did before I thought of it that way. To see that the energy that is in me is everywhere around me, that it's shared. Honestly, it's been here for 13.7 billion years using the laws of thermodynamics. You can't create or destroy energy. So that energy is just there. And we get this little packet, this little pocket, this little tiny ball of matter, this box of Legos that is earth that has been shared, adapted, changed, modified, critiqued, broken down, killed, destroyed, crushed, but it's all here. And you just give that energy and it's like the energy from the sun is like the hands that go into the Lego box and build new Legos. And as the Legos get old and break, they get broken back down with the wonders of decomposition, with the bacteria and the fungi. All six kingdoms of life are so intertwined. They are intertwined more than you could ever imagine. Their DNA, their four macromolecules, and the energy that is within them is all the same. So go out today and do something creative. Go out and experience it. Just sit with your eyes closed and breathe in this wonderful oxygen, knowing that your body is using that oxygen to mix it with C6H12O6, to mix it with the biological energy, the cold storage that you obtain from your food. Go out and look at your food and take maybe a second, maybe use this as the catalyst to start eating a little healthier, to change something about the way that you put in the system because the bioaccumulated toxins, the bioaccumulated energy, the dense calories that you get will energize the system. The The diet is not about struggle. The diet is not, a, dieting is not about struggle. Even, I don't call it a diet, call it a lifestyle. Eating a healthy, balanced diet is about manipulating your system, getting your system to run prime, to get your system to run at the highest level that you can do. So you could put that into things that you love, your family, your friends, your kids, your podcast, your art, your wonder, your awe, your sports, your new, your, your what, whatever, whatever, put it into the experience that is life. And that's the wonder of this entire thing. So as we go out into earth, we see the more we study, the more that the ecosystems are connected. But remember, never lose sight of the fact that we are a part of that ecosystem. We need a fully functioning, flourishing, biodiverse thing, because no matter what exoplanets we find out there, there is still one that has life. There's still one that can perceive and personify, not just L, little tiny L, but capital life L. And that is life, this, this evolution, this biology that is us is the manifestation of chemistry and physics over eons of the winners and losers sharing and obtaining energy. So go out and eat a healthy meal. Go out and take a deep breath. Give someone you love a hug and enjoy. Squeeze them. Bring your energy. Give them the energy from your hug as you pull them in tight to give them and let them experience how you're feeling. Share your imagination with the world. Share your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas coming from a pace of love and kindness. Take that energy and make loving words come out of your mouth, not hateful words come out of your mouth and you will experience a happier life. Use biology, use chemistry, use physics, use science, use philosophy to make you a more evolved person on a mental and physical state. Understand that you are a ball of cells. You are interstellar star debris energized by starlight. You are beautiful. You are awesome. You are amazing, beautiful little dust specks and I love you for it. Have a great week, everybody. Peace.
All right, so this is Alex again. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the shows. Remember, before you take off, if you could find a way to get over to iTunes, leave me a rate and review would be awesome. Haven't had a rate and review in a little while. I'd love a, love a couple. And again, always reach out to me. Beautifuldustspecs at gmail.com is the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'd love to know what's turning you on, what's getting you stoked, what you'd like more of, less of, or just say hi. Just let me know that you're out there listening. Let me know that this is resonating with somebody. I know it is. I know we're making a difference out there. Share this with your friends. Put the put the knowledge engine going. If this resonates with you even a little bit and you know someone that's into this stuff or know someone that could use it, just politely share it with them. Say, hey man, check this out. Dig this guy. See what he's doing. And that'd be great. Also, Instagram, Beautiful Dust Specs, Facebook, Beautiful Dust Specs, and Twitter is at Alex Hofeld, Alex H-O-F-E-L-D-T. Reach out to me. Follow me. Let me know what's up. There's more coming this summer. We're just going to try and get through tennis season and this thing's really going to start taking off here, guys. Hopefully it's digging it. Also, you can check out my TED Ed video. I was nominated by my students uh, last summer, actually, to make a TED Ed video, which is not a TED Talk, but I was able to work with TED to create a little mini lesson, and it turned out pretty well. It's only a five-minute, four-minute little thing on the Hubble Ultra Deep Field image. Check it out. Let me know what you think about that. That was an exciting little endeavor. A lot went into it. Not as much for me. I wrote the words. The words are mine. The animation and the voice is not. They wouldn't let me do the voice. I'm like, come on. I'm a podcaster. It would have been so great. They wouldn't let me. But anyways, have a great week, guys. Love you. Peace.